1 Peter 5 uh, verse 8 says, be sober-minded. In other words, have a clear mind. Don't be caught up in silliness. Be, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, same language Paul used, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. His mission is to devour and destroy those who are in Christ, those who would be in Christ, those who are coming to Christ. He is prowling like a hungry lion on a leash, viciously seeking somebody who would stumble by his food dish. Verse 9 says, resist him. Firm in your faith. How do you resist Satan? You are firm in your faith. I think this is the same way faith functions in Ephesians chapter 6. And here's why. This is what our faith informs us. Knowing our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. First, suffering. Why didn't Jesus just say, yeah, I'll take all the authority of the world? Because it's not the model for us. In God's providence, Jesus had to suffer. Then at the right time, God glorified him, established him, renewed him, right? First there was suffering, then there was exaltation. The pattern is the exact same for us. For a little while we suffer. My friends, this is when Satan prowls around, when you are suffering, when you are struggling, when you feel like you didn't get what you deserve, when you feel like things are not going the way you wanted them to. When things in your life are falling apart, that is where Satan fires his arrows. And do you know what he lights on fire and flings at you? Fleshly passion. You know why? Because that's when we're most likely to say, I deserve this. I know it in my own heart. When I am most discouraged, when I am most frustrated, when things in my home aren't the way that I wish them to be, or my kids or something with that, or there's a relational struggle with, that's when I feel like I deserve sin. You owe me a little bit of indulgence, God, because this stinks. And I'm just going to take a little bit because I deserve it. That's Satan's ploy. You deserve just a little bit. Just taste it. Just come on. You're suffering right now. Would a loving God allow you to suffer? Is it really worth it? That's how Satan prowls. He prowls, he crouches, sin crouches at the door around the next corner when your life is difficult. Friends, this is not the most happy-go-lucky message, but the stakes are so high. I have seen it in my friends. I had a friend and I was in a, I was in a minivan with two of my buddies. His, one's name was Tim and one's name was Preston. I hope Preston hears this message. And I was giving the gospel to my friend Tim. For hours, we were just sitting there. I was giving, giving the gospel. And Preston was over here. I thought he was asleep. 
But the, that night, he goes on MSN, right? Do you, who remembers MSN? And he says, Tim, like everything you were saying, I thought he was asleep the whole time. And he just responded. He said, I want to know Christ. I just, everything you said, I need to know him. And, and I saw him the next day at the rink when we were skating. And he just had this joy on his face. And he was so excited for Christ. And about a year and a half later, I saw him following Christ, following Christ, following Christ. About a year and a half later, he got in a relationship with a woman. And that was the end of it. I, I barely saw him again. I, I knew that they went, they went totally into fornication. They completely, he, he abandoned Christ. Is he saved? Was he really renewed? I don't know. But my friends, that relationship destroyed him. It destroyed his profession. It destroyed his fellowship. I, I don't know where he is in the faith now. This is real. Satan will attack. He will crouch when things are bad. My friend Preston, his parents divorced right around the same time. I deserve this. I'm suffering. Give me just a little bit and Satan is happy to give it to us. To light those arrows on fire and shoot them right at you. Right where he knows you will just collapse. You need a shield of faith. You need a shield of faith. My friends, the reality here is that the worst advice that you can get is that God wants to end your suffering now. You need to get out from under Satan's thumb. Satan's holding you down. He's causing you to suffer. Wrong. Wrong. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to suffer. It was Satan who met him there. Satan wants to deliver us through sin from our suffering. The fastest way that we can deny God and succumb to Satan is to go off in the middle of our suffering when things are, dis are discouraging and sin willfully because we think we deserve it. Peter says to his listeners here, at the right time, God will exalt you. He will. At the right time, God will end this. What did our passage this morning that we read say? You have kept my feet from slipping. You have delivered my soul from death. Surely I will walk in the land of the living. The, the Christian believer has hope in the future. We do not place our hope in what we see. We walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, don't look at your circumstances and evaluate how good God is based on how you feel or what's going on because God does not operate always through what you see. Satan's arrows are determined to give us what we want. I'm going to give you one last example just to drive this point home. One of the most sobering, difficult characters in Scripture is Esau. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet, that what is lame might not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of the Lord, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, that by it many become defiled. Listen to this. That no one is sexually immoral or ungodly like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. He sold his birthright for a single meal. How cheap we are sometimes. We give up our assurance. We give up our holiness. We sell it for a meal. We sell it for a relationship. We sell it for a single sexual experience. We sell it for some shady business deal. We sell it because we think just this one little time, 
But what happens to Esau? Such a sobering example. Verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The road to destruction is paved with people who had no idea what they were trading. They had no idea what they were giving up for a single meal. Satan's arrows intend maximum destruction of your life. Maximum destruction. They're on fire so that when they hit you, they'll light your clothes on fire and they might damage or light somebody else beside you on fire. Friends, Satan wants maximum destruction when Christians fall. He wants maximum destruction when his arrows hit. He wants to destroy as many people as possible, starting with you. Now, there's some good news. There's some good news. There's a shield. There's a shield that you can have. There's a shield that actually works against these things. I mean, if we read all that, we thought, how on earth are any of us going to stand? How on earth are any of us going to get through that? Satan is a mastermind. I'm going to fall every single time he fires one of those bad boys at me. There's good news. There's a shield. There's a shield that you can hide behind. There's a shield that when those arrows hit, the flames go out. And then you pick your shield up and you advance. That's what a soldier would do. When the, when the arrows hit and they were extinguished, the enemy had to replenish their arrows, right? Had to relight some more arrows. You don't have infinite number of flaming arrows. So what happens when the flaming arrows hit and were extinguished? The soldier would move the shield and advance. And our next two items are the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The sword comes out. The soldier advances and the sword comes out and some killing happens. Not literally. But my friends, there's good news for the soldier. It's not all ducking arrows. But we need to know how this shield protects. How does it work? Somebody tell me how to use this shield so that I can withstand, so I can stand firm and see these arrows extinguished. Hebrews, we're going to stay in Hebrews just for one minute. Faith. How does faith work? The writer of Hebrews uses, I think, the same idea of faith here in, in chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith operates based on what is not seen, not what is seen. Faith says, I know what's coming next. I know what this will cost me. I know what the stakes are. I know what Satan's trying to do here. This is the faith that Paul commands. It's to be convicted of things that are not seen. It's to have assurance of that which is not seen. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and talks about all these people who exercised that exact kind of faith. When they faced something horrible, they moved in terms of God's word, not in terms of what was in front of them. And my favorite person in this story is Moses. Actually, Noah might be my favorite, but I want to look at Moses. In verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, this is it, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's how faith was exercised in Moses' life. He recognized, I'm a Hebrew. 
I belong to God's people. And so I'm not indulging in the Egyptian passions of sin. Because they might be delightful for a time. They might be blissful for a time. But if I reject identifying with God's people, the cost is so much greater. Moses is that quintessential character who sees the pleasure of sin right in front of him with his eyeballs. But says, no, I want God. I want the reproaches of Christ. I want the shame of Jesus. I want the shame of purity. I want the shame of a, of a pure marriage. I want the shame of a simple life and devotion to God, abstaining from fleeting sin. There's nothing more embarrassing that you can do today than to raise your children yourself in your home, fearing God, being faithful to your spouse. There's nothing more embarrassing that you can do. And if you're not in that category... There's nothing less wonderful about how you're devoted to Christ. But friends, simple obedience to Jesus is not praised in our culture. You're not going to get high fives and awards. But you are going to get the peace of Christ. There's three people that spoke the words of faith, the words that we need to mimic when we face terror, when we face attack, when we could do something other than obedience to God. There's three people. After Satan tempted Jesus, it says that he departed. Couldn't beat Jesus and says that he would come back at a more opportune time. I believe that that time was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus went to the cross. Satan's final hour of power was right before Jesus died for our sin to free us from his grip. When Jesus came to his lowest humiliation, the worst thing that he could ever face, not only death on a Roman cross, but to have the Father turn his back on him. To have the Father pour his wrath out on Jesus. Jesus, this is the closest time that he came. If there is such a category for Jesus. Satan came and I believe said to Christ, you don't have to do this. Surely there's some other way God could forget. Isn't that the message of, of fickle Christianity today? I think there's got to be another way that God could have forgiven us. That's the words of Satan in the garden. Jesus said to his Father, if there is any way that this cup could pass. Please let it pass. In other words, God, if there's any other way to save your people than for me to take on your wrath on the cross, if there's any other way, please do it. I am all ears. This is the prayer of faith. This is how Jesus finished that prayer. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. In other words, God, whatever you have asked me to walk through, don't deliver me if it's not your will. Keep me right here. Let it be to me, as you have said. That's the prayer of faith. We're coming up on Christmas. We're going to learn about Mary when she was visited by the angel. Mary was not uh, wed. She was not wed to Joseph. She was betrothed, right? She was engaged, but she was about 16 years old and had never known a man, especially in Jewish culture. This is, the concept of virginity was very precious, Sadly, as it's not today, but Mary, in preparing for her lifelong partnership with Joseph, just excited, this angel come and, comes and says, you're going to bear a child. But it's not going to be through Joseph in the normal course of your marriage. You're going to start carrying this child before you are married. And even Joseph, when he heard the news, he wanted to put her quietly away. The penalty for adultery in Jewish culture was stoning to death. This is not like no big deal. Hey, Mary, you're going to have the Son of God in your womb. Woohoo! This would have filled her with terror. What about my purity? What about my family? What about my life? But do you know what she prayed? 
Let it be done to me. Let it be done to your servant according to your word. That's the prayer of faith. Whatever I have to walk through for you to get your will done, God, let it be done to me. The last character I want to bring to your attention is Job. Job, after his life collapses, loses all his children, loses his livestock, loses his home, loses his health. What does he say to God? Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. That's the prayer of faith that Paul is urging us. That's the shield. That's the shield. The shield says, everything in me screams, no. Everything in me screams, get me out of here. Everything in me screams, this is not fair. Everything in me screams, this is awful. The prayer of faith says, yet I will praise you. Friends, your shield of faith is your daily choice to praise God for his work, though you do not always understand it. This is a hard thing for Christians to embrace, but this is how we fight the battle. If you constantly think that God is making a mistake in your life or not doing the right thing at the right time, you are walking vulnerable to Satan's attacks. God is sovereign over your life and he cares for you. In that same passage in Hebrews chapter 12, we learn that our sufferings are disciplined from the Lord. And being disciplined is proof that you're a child of God. I don't discipline your kids, right? If we're not disciplined by God, the Bible says, how do you know that God's your father? Wynn and Hank know they're going to answer to me because they know I'm their dad. Discipline is a link between parents and children. Friends, our suffering is proof that God is our father. He loves you. He's doing it for your good. It says that after suffering, you will yield, or after discipline, you will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There is good coming. At the right time, God will exalt you. The shield of faith says, I don't know when that's happening, but I'm willing to trust. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to resist. I'm willing to stand firm because God is my father. This is how Satan's attacks are extinguished. When Satan fires something and he says, hey, why don't you just take this little escape route? We say, no, no. I'm going to endure with God because this fleeting pleasure of sin is so evil. It is so costly and I'm not going to sell my birthright for a single meal. Satan's arrows are meant to kill. But when we trust in God's hand in our lives, those arrows are extinguished. So how does one gain perspective when everything around us, our sight, our feelings, our emotions, everything tells us this is a mistake. This is wrong. I got to get out of here. No way. Psalm 73. Read Psalm 73 this afternoon for yourself. The writer of Psalm 73 says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I looked around and I said, Why can't I have that? Here I am serving the Lord like a sucker. He said, My feet had almost slipped. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are sleek and fat. They're well filled. The wicked have it all, Lord. What am I doing over here? They're not in trouble as others are. Their life is easier than mine. I thought I served a living God. Behold, 
These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. In vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands. In vain, it's a waste of time. That's what the writer in Psalm 73 is saying. But when I thought to understand this, when I sat down on my couch with my cup of coffee and I thought, how am I going to figure this out? It seemed to me too wearisome a task. I can't figure this out. Why does this happen? Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? He says, I found it a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. When I came to worship him, it became clear. The light bulb went on. When I came to worship God, it made sense. I discerned their end. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. That's the end of those who are evil. That's the end who are th- of those who are following Satan. Though they seem prosperous and sure now in this life, they are swept away, destroyed in a moment. And then he says to the Lord, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me into glory. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If all I have left is God, then I have everything. He's my portion. That's the prayer of faith. That's the operation of the shield of faith. The armor goes up from here and and, and we see how to advance. We see how to attack. We see how to gain victory. But none of that will ever happen if the shield is not in place, my friends. We will all be scattered if we are not operating in a trust of not what is seen, but in the word of God. 